Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. Bibles this morning, Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. And again, let me thank you for being here this morning and encourage you to be back. Uh, It really is a candlelight service. If you've not been to one of ours, the last thing we do before we're dismissed this evening, we circle the auditorium. Everybody's got a candle. Uh, the kids have little battery-powered candles, and we sing Silent Night, and it's the perfect way to spend a Christmas Eve. You know, it's all about the Lord anyway. And let me also say again, it's good to have you visiting with us, some folks we haven't seen in a while, some new folks visiting. It's good to have my daughter Erin here with us. Uh, you know, she put stuff on Facebook, and several of you have mentioned to me something she put on Facebook last night. Now, let me say this. My daughter, Erin, really is, all, in all seriousness, one of the hardest working young ladies I know. For the past umpteen years, she's held down not one, not two, but really three jobs. She is very hardworking, very frugal. However, when she comes home for Christmas, that all changes. She posted on Facebook that she's got a bell, and when she rings it, she expects her mom and dad to respond to whatever need she has. Now, the worst part of it, though, is that when she gets home at Christmas, I know how this is going to go because it's played out every Christmas before. She parks it in my lazy boy (laughs) in front of my big screen TV. And I I said, Aaron, there's football games coming on this week. She said, that's not my problem. That's your problem. Have I said anything untrue, Aaron? Nope. See? So pray for, pray for me this week. It's going to be such a hardship. I, I'm serious. I will not see my lazy boy till she is gone next Saturday. And anyway, can you imagine, fellas? Feel sorry for me. I'm going to have to watch football on a little old bitty TV. You know, because, I, yeah, it's terrible. It's a, it's a terrible thing to happen at Christmas. This morning, on Christmas Eve, the title of the message is, What's in a Name? What's in a Name? And we're focusing on one verse that was dealing with the birth of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And what I want to focus on is the last half of that verse, which says concerning his names. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Now there's a comma in between there, and I'm not suggesting the translators made a mistake, but it's open to interpretation uh, as to whether that's two different names or that's one name, Wonderful Counselor. Most commentators list it as one name, and you'll see because that registers well with how the other names go. Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. 
We're asking this morning the question, what's in a name? And let me tell you, it's very important what's in a name. It's important to you. It's important to your children. It's important to anybody that you care about what we're studying and what we're focusing on this morning in this verse. What's in a name? There's a line in Act 2, Scene 2 of Shakespeare's play, Romeo and Juliet. When Juliet asks the question, what's in a name? And she says, that which we call a rose by any other name would still smell as sweet. Now the story behind that statement is that Romeo Montague and his girlfriend, Juliet Capulet, have met and they've fallen in love. But they're members of two warring families and their relationship is doomed from the start. And I'm reading here, it says, in the line we just mentioned about what's in a name, Juliet tells Romeo that a name is an artificial and meaningless thing and that she loves the person who is called Montague, not the Montague name and not the Montague family. Juliet said that the person is more important than the name. But this writer says, but when it comes to the personalities and individuals in the Scripture, he says, I do not believe that Juliet's opinion holds true, that a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. The names in the Word of God are carefully and deliberately connected to the personality and the character of the person that bears that name. And that is certainly true of the names given to that baby whose birth we celebrate tomorrow there in the manger in Bethlehem. I think it's fascinating that in Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6, these names were given 700 years before he was born. The prophet Isaiah is prophesying about the birth of Christ and gives the four names, Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Now, why should those names matter to you 2,000 years later, far away from that place? Why should it matter? Well, let me tell you this morning, it ought to matter. And it ought to matter a lot that you know these names and you know what these names mean. In fact, let me just read this statement to you. This is kind of the purpose statement of the message this morning so that you can see that we're not just here to kill some time. This is valuable information that I'm sharing with you. Some of you know this information, but you need to be reminded of it. Some of you don't know this information, and you need to learn this information this morning. People who do not understand and appreciate the various names associated with Jesus will experience unnecessary and avoidable heartache, pain, and drama in their lives. Whereas, those who understand and appreciate the significance of his names will experience greater joy, greater peace, and greater purpose in their lives. That's what's at stake this morning. Do you want to have a life of defeat and drama? Then just ignore what we're going to share with you now. Ignore the significance and the purpose of these names. But if you want your life to count, you only got one here on this earth, and you want it to count, and you want to experience some joy, some peace, and some happiness, then pay very close attention because 
This has everything to do with you, where you are in your life right now, whether you're young or old. These are important names that you should care about. One of the best ways to understand who Jesus is and what he has to offer to you today was written 700 years ago by the prophet Isaiah before he was ever born. And in this prophetic writing, the names of this man yet to be born give us clarity and insight as to who he is and what he has to offer to you today. The names listed in chapter 9 and verse number 6 should give great encouragement to you. We live in very challenging times, and we need all the help that we can get. And some people find themselves depressed, filled with anxiety, going through all sorts of emotional uh, challenges, when what they don't realize is there's help available. There's great help available. There is the best help available. The one we call the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. It's very important not to be uninformed about these names and what they mean to you. Okay, Names are important. I, I read this story that really illustrates uh, just how important names are and how important that you understand the name and that you get it right. Let me just read you this little story. When the 1960s ended, San Francisco's Haight-Ashbury district reverted to high rent and many of the hippies moved down the coast of Santa Cruz. They had children, those hippies did, but they didn't name their children, you know, uh, Judy or Joe. People in the mountains around Santa Cruz grew accustomed to their children playing with kids named Frisbee or, or Little Time Warp or Spring Fever. Sounds like hippies, doesn't it? And eventually, kids like Moonbeam, Earth, Love, Precious Promises. They all ended up there in the local public school. That's when the kindergarten teachers first met Fruit Stand. (laughs) Every fall, according to tradition, parents bravely apply name tags to their children, kiss them goodbye, and send them off to school on the bus. So it was for little Fruit Stand. The teachers thought the boy's name was odd, but, you know, they were used to that, and they tried to make the best of it. Would you like to play with the blocks? Fruit stand, they offered. And later, fruit stand. How about a snack? He accepted, hesitantly. By the end of the day, his name didn't seem much odder than, you know, uh, Moonbeam or Sunray. At dismissal time, the teachers led the children out to the buses. Fruit stand. Do you you know which one is your bus? He didn't answer. That wasn't strange. He hadn't answered them all day. Lots of children on the first day of school. It didn't matter, really, though. The teachers had instructed the parents to write the location for their children's bus stops on the reverse side of their name tags. 
So the teacher simply turned over the tag. There neatly printed was the word Anthony. (laughs) He was supposed to be dropped off at the fruit stand. (laughs) Aaron, you work with four-year-olds. That's believable, isn't it? She, She does that. Names matter. And when it comes to the Bible, we, know, we need to understand very clearly the importance and the significance of names. What's in a name? Let me just read you this. Do the titles and names of Jesus hold significance? In the days when the Bible was being written, the Israelites often chose names for their babies based on the child's character or appearance. Esau, meaning Harry. Some babies were named because of an incident at birth, or their names were based on some hope or prayer of the parent, as in Zachariah's name, God has remembered. Sometimes babies receive the name of an everyday object like Tamar, which means palm tree, or Tabitha, which means gazelle. Parents often name their children by the time of day they were born. For example, Shaharim means dawn, and Hodesh means new moon. Well, 700 years before Christ was born, in the midst of terrible apostasy, terrible problems going on in the world, the prophet Isaiah prophesied the names of the coming Messiah. And he mentions four names, and each of them are significant to Glenn McMorris, Sharon McMorris, Aaron McMorris, and every person in this room. What I'm about to share with you, you need to know concerning these names. If you you expect to live life that the best you can as a Christian, you need to understand what is available to you and how significant it is and how it can help you and how it can benefit you. The first name given is Wonderful Counselor. Think about it. As a counselor... Jesus will tell you the truth about yourself, and then he will give you what you need in order to live the life that you would probably want to live. Jesus is a counselor. He will always tell you the truth. Charles Spurgeon puts it in perspective. Charles Spurgeon, the the English preacher uh, in the late 1800s, said this, How we need Jesus as our counselor. He says, think about it. It was by a counselor that this world was ruined. Did not Satan mask himself in the serpent and counsel the woman with exceeding craftiness that she should take unto herself of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the hope that thereby she should be as God? Because she listened to the wrong counselor a bad counselor. Was it not that evil counsel which provoked Eve to rebel against her maker? And did it not, as the effect of sin, bring death into this world with all of its woe? And then he says, Ah, beloved, it was necessary that the world should have a counselor to restore it. If it had a counselor to destroy it, we now need a counselor to restore it. And of course, he is talking about the wonderful counselor, Jesus Christ. We have to be careful, folks. With, with the media that is around us, 
We have access to so many counselors. Go to the internet, go to the TV, go to the radio, go to, go to wherever, and there are voices out there, many voices out there. And most often, it's offering wrong counsel. It's going to be the same kind of counsel that Eve uh, listened to there in the Garden of Eden that plunged this world into sin. She listened to the wrong counselor. And if you and I aren't careful, we're going to listen to the wrong counselors. And the wrong counselors that dominate the life around us is the world. When we talk, when the Bible talks about the world, it talks about all those people out there that you work with, that you see on TV, the sports stars that are unsaved. They, they have a voice. They have an influence. It's that unsaved world that most often tells us how to dress and tells us what to value and, and, and tells us what to laugh at. The world is a terrible counselor out there. If it's not the world, then it's just Satan himself. The influence of Satan in our lives, coming into our lives and like he did with Eve, telling her things that are just wrong, but so crafty to make them believable. And then there's our own flesh. Sometimes we just say, I'm my own man, I'm my own woman, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Well, then your flesh is telling you what to do. And there's nothing more undependable than your flesh. There's all sorts of wrong counselors at you, speaking to you. And when you sit down with an unsaved person at lunch, you, sit, you, you, you spend time with an, an unsaved family member. They're expressing their opinions and often strongly. Or you turn on the TV and you listen to this, you listen to that, you listen to Oprah, you listen to Dr. Phil. There's so many voices out there. What you need is a wonderful counselor and he's there. He's there for you right now. Wrong counselors say, it's okay to choose your friends as you see fit. I'm not going to tell my kids how to live their lives. I'm not going to tell my kids who they can hang around with or who they can't hang around with. That's what wrong counselor tells you. Godly counsel says, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. That's good counsel. That's the counsel you ought to listen to. Wrong counselors say it's okay to fulfill your uh, physical desires outside of marriage. That's what TV's telling you. That's what movies are. I mean, they they portray people living together in a very positive light, and if you speak up against it, they're going to come down on you. Just say that to your friends that are living together. Say that to family members that are living together that, that that's wrong. I mean, they have listened to some counsel. Somebody has told them that that's okay. Proverbs 6.27, talking about this, says, Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? And we know that's good counsel. Don't do it. It's never going to come out right. But the world, Satan, and our flesh are eager to give you counsel that will ruin you. Wrong counselors will say to you, don't let anybody tell you, you know, what to do or how to live. And that's why people aren't, some people aren't in this auditorium this morning, because they're not going to have any preacher tell them what to do. It's their life. They're going to live it just the way they want. They're listening to some counsel. It's either coming from within their flesh, or they're just buying into what the world is doing, or it's the influence of Satan. Godly counsel says in Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. 
700 years before the birth of Christ, the prophet Isaiah said, a child will be born. And one of his names is Wonderful Counselor. Is it evident in your life and in your lifestyle that he is your counselor, your primary counselor? You listen to him when you pray. You listen to him through the work of the Holy Spirit. You listen to him that before you make a decision, you look to God's word and see how he directs. Understand the wonderful gift we're getting that that is represented this time of the year as we celebrate Christmas. God, the wonderful counselor. But not only that, that we should value, that we should cling to. He is described, secondly, as the mighty God. As a mighty God, Jesus has the power to accomplish in you that which is best for you. You do not have to live a life as a victim to the world and sin and Satan and your flesh. He is a mighty God. He can give you victory. Think about Jesus himself. Again, if I can quote Spurgeon, and I I quote him a lot because if I can't say it better than him, I'm just going to let him say it. Listen to this. I, I just thought he was a gifted orator, a gifted pastor. And there's lots of times I get frustrated when I read Spurgeon. I just want to throw in the towel and say, forget it. But here's what he said about God being the mighty God. He said, for 30 years and upwards, he, Jesus, talking about his life on this earth, had to struggle and wrestle against temptations more numerous and more terrible than man had ever known before. Adam fell when but a woman tempted him. Eve fell when but a serpent offered her fruit. But Christ stood invulnerable against all the wiles of Satan Though tempted he was in all points like as are we. Spurgeon goes on to say, Not one arrow out of the quiver of hell was spared against Jesus. The whole were shot against him. And yet, without sin or taint of sin, more than conqueror he stood foot to foot with Satan in the solitude of the wilderness, hand to hand with him on the top of the pinnacle of the temple, side by side with him in the midst of a busy crowd, yet ever more than conqueror. He gave him battle wherever the adversary willed to meet him. And at last, when Satan gathered up all his might and seized the Savior in the Garden of Gethsemane and crushed him till he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, and when the Savior said, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt, the tempter was repulsed. Christ, in all his conquest over sin, does seem to me to have established his Godhead. I never heard of any other creature that could endure such temptation as this. He talks about Adam and Eve falling with just a temptation. And yet Satan throws everything at him, his time on this earth, and how he never yielded. He is indeed 
the mighty God. Mighty to save your soul. Mighty to sanctify your life. By sanctify, simply mean to clean it up. Make you a new person. If you think there is no hope for you, you are believing a lie. You are listening to the wrong counselor, if you will. He can do it. He has done it. There are so many people in this room, you'd be floored. You know, a lot of times visitors would come to church, and they, think, they look around, and they see people dressed nice and what have you, and they assume that this room is just filled with saints. You know, we're saints in the sense that we're saved, but these saints were sinners. I mean, you'd be shocked to hear some of the stories of some of the people in this room. You'd never believe it. There are people in this room, they tell me their testimony. And the neat thing about it is, I, I'll tell them, I say, I believe you, but I, I just can't picture it. You know, I, I don't doubt some of the things you did, how bad, how awful they were. But to the grace of God, I can't even imagine. But what you see there is a testimony to God's might. The ability that he demonstrated to defeat Satan in his life through his word, through the work of the Holy Spirit, through God's men as pastors and through the church, he will enable you to have those victories as well. He is a wonderful counselor. He is a mighty God. Number three, each one of these names are so significant. He's an everlasting father. As a father, he knows our strengths. He knows our weaknesses. And with patience, he is working to guide us towards maturity. We know that not every person in this room has been blessed with a good father. In this sinful world, sadly, there are some fathers and mothers who fail in their role. But Jesus is an everlasting father. He will never fail. I love in the Lord's Prayer when Jesus teaching us how to pray says, Our Father which art in heaven. I have a hard time with my finite mind comprehending God, existent for all eternity, just self-existing, can do anything. I mean, big enough that he knows every hair on every one of our heads, every molecule within us. I mean, he's got it all figured out. I have a hard time comprehending that. But when he's referred to as Father... I get it. And I find that to be very comforting. A good father is a source of strength, a source of guidance, a source of provision. And when you think about God, you, like me, may struggle to understand it. Eternity. I mean, how do you even begin to deal with that? You know, God and his omniscience, he knows everything, he is everywhere. You may struggle with that. So isn't it neat that 700 years before he was born, one of the phrases that described him was everlasting father. Now that you can relate to. One of the things a good father does is provides for his children. James chapter 1, verse number 17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Don't think of God as some cold, impersonal, distant force. 
Think of him as your father. A good father protects his children. Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. A good father corrects his children. A bad father lets his children do anything. A good father is attentive. A good father knows that children need to be disciplined. Hebrews 12, 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise thou, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. This morning, you need to embrace the Lord as your father. A term that you can understand, a term that you can appreciate. That is a wonderful gift to realize this Christmas season. That he, number one, is a wonderful counselor. Don't listen to the world. Don't, don't judge what you wear or what you do or how you think by the world. That, that's a false counselor. You know, uh, uh, don't listen to your flesh. Your, your flesh will always take the path of least resistance. It, it is self-destructive. And for sure, don't listen to Satan. You have a wonderful counselor. You have a mighty God that stood up to all the wiles of the devil and defeated him. And he's on your side. And he knows your battle with Satan. And he will be there to guide and bless you. And he is the everlasting Father. Loving you, providing for you, disciplining you, which is a good thing. And then lastly, the last name mentioned there, the fourth name, the Prince of Peace. It is as the Prince of Peace that you and I are able to experience peace, even in this crazy, messed up world. Now, it's very important to understand what we're talking about by peace. Here's the the definition of peace. In a general sense, a state of quiet or tranquility, freedom from agitation or disturbance by the passions, freedom from terror, anger, anxiety, depression. Peace is a state of mind given you by the Lord. It's not a, a, it's not a place where you don't have any problems. In this sin-cursed world, we avoid many of the problems that the lost encounter, but we don't, we don't, uh, we're, not, uh, we're not in a place where we're going to uh, not have any problems. But as a Christian, one thing that differentiates us from our lost family and friends is that even in our problems, we can have This wonderful peace from the Prince of Peace. I went to this website, and I thought to myself, surely unsafe people want peace. Surely they have a desire for peace. What do they do? How do they go about it? I I know that for me, my peace is in and through Jesus Christ. He is the Prince of Peace. Okay? Well, how does the world deal with it? So I just went to some random websites. One of them said, inner peace is that, and this is lost people, okay? Inner peace is the state achieved once you begin to understand and contemplate the truth of yourself. And the only truth of yourself is your consciousness. 
That gives me peace. I don't know what that means. The only truth of yourself is your consciousness. That really does say a lot if you really think about it, and it couldn't be more false. Another site said, it is pure awareness. Now, this is how the world is looking for peace. It is pure awareness. When you identify with this aspect of your being, you are focusing on the truth of yourself and the aspect of yourself that is infinite and eternal. An awareness and understanding of this aspect of yourself is inner peace because it means that no matter what may happen in life, in your mind, in your body, or in your relationships, you are always perfect, always divine, and always one with infinite love. I'm feeling it. That's those hippies that we were reading about a while ago that's coming up with all that. Here's one more. When you connect to this higher level of consciousness, then you will understand how everything in your life, in your mind, and in the world is all in divine order, and thus it is perfection. When you see your perfection, then you will see this perfection everywhere, and inner peace will be your reality. There's only one way to find peace, folks. In Romans chapter 5, verse number 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read that again. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Only when you have peace with God are you going to have peace. It's kind of an example of that would be like when I was young and my dad, if I knew he was upset with me, no way I was going to have a good day knowing that my dad was upset with me. I mean, you just can't be happy when you know you're on the outs with dad. I had a good dad and I had a good relationship with my dad. And for those of you for which this might mean something, it was four years ago today that I got a phone call from my brother on Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve night. We'd gone home from the Christmas Eve service. And I got the phone call from Uncle Steve, as we call him. And he said, they brought Dad to the hospital. It doesn't look good. Missed my dad. He was a good dad. Good enough that he disciplined me. Good enough that I needed the discipline that he gave. But when I knew Dad was upset with me, it was not going to be a good day. But when things, when the discipline was done... And my dad always hugged me afterwards and told me he loved me. My dad was constantly telling me he loved me. When things were right with dad, things were right. And I could just be at peace. You were meant to have a relationship with God. And if you are unsaved this morning, the bad news is God is going to judge you. If you die unsaved, if you die in your sins... You will die under the wrath of God, which is justified. He must punish sin. He wouldn't be a good God if he didn't punish you. You have every reason not to have peace today if you're on the outs with God. If you're here this morning, you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you need to get saved. Only then will you have true peace in your heart. Or maybe you're here this morning and you are saved. But like me with my dad, I did something wrong, I did something bad, I disobeyed him. Maybe you're here this morning and you're saved, but you haven't been living like you should, justifying things that you shouldn't, and you know there's no peace. 
The only peace you can truly have is when you have peace with God. And that's going to him and repenting, asking for forgiveness, and letting him give you a hug and tell you that he loves you and you tell him that you love him and that you're sorry and you're going to try to do better. That is the only way to have peace. When you're on the outs with God, for whatever reason, in whatever state you happen to be in, you cannot know peace. He is the Prince of Peace. And He will give it to you. And it'll be a real peace. A peace that will even get you through difficult times. Will will help you through the valley. You will still have that peace. A peace that the world doesn't understand. But they can, and you can too. So, 700 years before the birth of Christ, the prophet Isaiah is talking about a child that's going to be born whose birth we celebrate tomorrow. And in talking about that coming Messiah, he gives him four significant names that are important to each and every one of us, each of them uniquely significant. He's called the Wonderful Counselor. As we begin a new year, will you determine that you're going to start looking to Him for how you ought to live your life rather than doing it according to your flesh or according to Satan or according to the world? Because if you're not living your life according to His counsel, then you are living it by one of those three. You say, oh, no, I'm not. Oh, yes, you are. And it's only going to be bad. There's no way that ends up good. It can't because it's contrary to God's will, a holy, righteous, and just God. So understand, though, you've got a wonderful counselor. Take advantage of that. He's the mighty God. He stood, if you will, toe-to-toe with Satan and defeated him after Satan had thrown everything at him he could. And he can defeat the enemies in your life as well. He'll battle for you. If you're one of his children, he'll defend you. He's the everlasting father. He's not some remote power that can't be understood. He's an everlasting father. And lastly, he is the prince of peace. What person in their right mind doesn't want to have peace in their soul? I can't imagine anybody in their right mind enjoying anxiety, enjoying fear, jealousy, anger, all those things which dominate the lost world. I can't think of anybody in their right mind that would want to pursue that. You can have peace. You can have peace by trusting Christ as your Savior. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's Word. If you have any questions about Mile Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.